The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. The theme for this week is in the wild. It's where basically a photo safari is the theme that they use to work through the week. And you've already seen in some locations on campus, these different animal scenes and places uh, in the world. The, 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 the sub theme is over here on the walls on both sides. It says, zoom in and focus on Jesus. Now, the reason they arrived at that is because the core text uh, for Vacation Bible School is John 20, 31. So if you have a copy of the Bible, I invite you to turn there. If you don't, there's a chair Bible under a chair in front of you. If you take that out, we're on page 907. And while you're looking there at the chair in front of you, there's a guest card. If you're a guest today and you never let us know that you've been uh, joining us for worship, we'd love for you to fill out the information on that and drop it in the offering plate. That would let us know that you're here. So we want to turn our attention to this focal passage for the week and learn from it today. And I'll ask God to impact our lives with it both now and forever. So John 20, I invite you to stand as I read verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would open your word to us. Spirit of God, lead us into all truth. May we see that it is written, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that you might impart life in our believing. So Lord, move and work in us and among us Call people to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I've lived in this town now for 27 years, and I've learned a little bit about it. One of my questions that I'll ask people is, what is the Bible? Here's some of the answers I've received over the years. It's a bunch of rules. I can kind of know right off the bat when somebody says it's a bunch of rules, it explains to me what kind of church they've been in. I'll say more about that later. The second response is something like this. The Bible's a random group of stories. Now what that tells me is that person's tried to read it. They got somewhere around Leviticus and gave up. Because they just weren't making the connection of how these different stories We're going together. Number three, very similar to number one, it's a book about right and wrong. Now this is not an objective or an objection to the question. When somebody says a bunch of rules, they're reacting to the question. But the person who says the book about right or wrong, probably very similar to the person who answered number one, tells me kind of what their experience with the Bible has been. And somebody who's been around the church for a while, particularly a church with a high view of Scripture, they probably would answer with these simple words. What is the Bible? It's God's Word. 
So the answer to the question, if you really want to pursue it, what is the Bible? You really got to ask this question, which is my sermon topic. Why was the Bible written? Why was it written in this to start with? Here's the main idea of this sermon, and it comes from our text. The Bible was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now this, this is speaking to a clear explanation of why John wrote this gospel. He's given us a purpose statement. You don't have to guess why do you have the gospel of John, but John's speaking to something wider. So if we we take our photographic imagery from Vacation Bible School, we need to widen our lens and look at the entirety of the Bible and ask the question, why was it written? So the Bible was written first so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may believe that you may accept as true, that you may entrust your life to it. I don't intend to give you a, a grammar lesson today, but we don't speak or use this part of our grammar, the aorist tense. That means a snapshot event, and it's aorist active, so snapshot events, if you will, so that you may believe. You say, I have no idea what you're talking about. You'll get this. A movie is made up of singular images. So now when you're watching a high-definition movie, I looked this up last night, when you're watching a high-definition movie, you're seeing 48 images per second. Your mind is not singling those images out. What you're seeing is a moving picture. So if you were to take your life as a follower of Christ Here's what the scripture is saying, that you may believe. So as we stopped the movie of your life and looked at a picture, we see believing, believing, believing. You see, here's the way it's gotten communicated, and I don't know how we got here, but the way it's gotten communicated in the Bible Belt is a moment. I believed right here on this day. Now, I I, I think there's a moment that that we come to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit who Christ is, and there is the day we believe. But what, what John's talking about here is not just a moment. He's talking about our lives, that we are believing. So how does this come to be? How does this believing happen? The Bible is the delivery system that God gives us. The Bible was written... And it is to be read and to be heard. And what is it that we need to hear? What is it that we need to to comprehend and to believe? First, that Jesus is the Son of God. Now let's go back to John chapter 1. And watch how John starts this gospel. Different than the other gospels, they begin with a birth narrative. John begins with a theological explanation. And at first it can confuse you until you compare it with a wide lens. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So in verse one, the word is Christ. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus is, he's God. Jesus is God. That's how the book starts. Jesus is God. He is in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Now let's think about how does the Bible start? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. How did God do it? God, next word, God said, let there be light and there was light. Now look at the comparison of what John is doing here. He's saying to you, Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. Not anything, everything was made, was made through him. And in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the word. Jesus is God speaking to us. He is revealing himself to us. And what is it that Jesus, the word is revealing? Verse 14, that he is full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. So right away we are confronted with a problem that exists in Southern Bible Belt churches. And that is this idea that there's something you have to do to get to God. What the Bible is teaching you is there's nothing you can ever do to get to God. In fact, what you have done has cut you off from God. It is what God has done to bring you to himself. And that is the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and he's full of grace. That means he's full of what you can never earn or deserve. He's full of truth. He's the word. He is the the revelation to us of who God is. He is the Christ. I want you to go now to the end of John, to chapter 19. So John is establishing throughout the rest of the book, he repeats multiple times where Jesus says, I am. He's calling back into the Old Testament how God self-disclosed himself. He says, I am. God's the only one, wherever you find, as far back as you can go and as far forward as you go, that God can always say, I am. He's eternal. So Jesus eternally is the light of the world. He is eternally the bread of life. And we come here to the end of the gospel of John and we see clearly that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. In verse 28, it says, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished. Now, how did he know that? Because he's God. Jesus, knowing that all is now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Now, in particular, he's fulfilling Psalm 69, 21. But if you look at a wider angle view of the Bible, you see that he is fulfilling the truth of scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have the the first promise of what God is going to do. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and your offspring and her offspring 
He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. So what happened? The evil one bruised the heel of Jesus on the cross. But at the cross, Jesus Christ crushed the head of the serpent. He finished the work of redemption and he he completed what God had sent him to do. It says in verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now what transpired on the cross is that Jesus, who had never sinned, died on the cross a sinner's death. That means he bore on the cross the wrath of God on our behalf. That's why the the, the earth became dark. In that moment, he's bearing the wrath of God and he comes to this moment in time when he says it is finished. He has completely drunk the cup that God had for him. Now, brothers and sisters, let us be clear. Jesus is full of grace and truth who has finished the work of redemption. He does not and will not ever need you to help him add to that. It wearies my soul. I can understand this when I'm interacting with a Muslim. When I ask them, how do you think you're going to get to heaven or do you think you'll go to heaven? I hope so. I have had that repeated to me in Gastonia, North Carolina, as many times as I've ever interacted with a Muslim who says the same thing. I hope so. What's underneath, I hope so. Are you certain that you're going to be in the presence of God? Are you certain you're going to go to heaven when you die? I hope so. What's under that? I hope I've done enough. You will never do enough. Jesus has done it all. It is finished. There you go. You are awake. I don't need the amen, but that deserves an amen. Okay? He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That means he died. God died. Because he's the son of God. Three days later, he rose from the grave. That's what sets him apart. That's what proves to us he is the Messiah. Thomas didn't believe it yet. Jesus had gathered in the upper room on a Sunday night and he missed it. A week later, Thomas is there. Jesus shows up. Doors were locked. Jesus came, stood in the midst. He said, peace be with you. He said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. And then he says this, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now let's keep going in verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, some miracles are recorded, but he's emphatically saying there are many things Jesus did not recorded. But there's one crucial thing that is recorded. There is one crucial miracle that everything hangs on, and it is the one that he just explained, is that Jesus has risen from the dead. This miracle is recorded. Why? These are written. 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So embedded in this text is the answer to how we come to believe. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must hear the gospel of Christ and the spirit of God takes the word of God and opens our blind eyes to see and we believe. So here's my question to you today. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God? Can you give the the testimony that Thomas gave, my Lord and my God? In John 14, Jesus is about to leave them. He tells them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, you know the way. Thomas says, whoa, 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 time out. Don't know it. Don't know the way. And Jesus utters these words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way to the Father. Christ and his redeeming work is the only way that we get to the Father. I am the truth. Jesus doesn't say I am a truth. He doesn't say I'm a truth among many. There are many ways to God. There are many religions. I'm just one way. He says, I am the truth. I am the one and only truth. The church backs off of this. In the West, she'll die. God will not bless a people who who give in to a culture of pluralism and back off saying clearly, Jesus is the truth. It's not about fighting. It's about considering what's here and what's written. I've dealt with some intelligent people in my life. I'm not one of them. Some of you can relate. But they'll say something like this. You know, I've considered the things of Jesus and I think Jesus was a great teacher. He, was, he, he said some incredible things, but I just can't come to, to grasp that he's, he's Lord. Now listen to me. If you're that smart... Here's what I want to submit to you. You have not fully researched Jesus. Because if you fully research Jesus and you apply your scientific method, here's the conclusion you got to come to. He was crazy. He was absolutely delusional. He didn't just teach some great little moral lessons. He over and over said, I'm God. He over and over repeated why he came. He over and over were pointing people to why he was there, that he is the son of God. So he's either who he said he was or he's a liar. Your pluralism won't work with Jesus. He is the truth. And then he says, I am the life. The good news that Jesus is the life is only understood when you contrast it with the reality of death. The wages of sin is death. This is the other thing the modern church is wanting to push back to. Nobody in our culture wants to believe sin's a reality. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. You just do what you want, whatever makes you happy. And we're rejecting this whole knowledge of sin. If you don't understand sin, you don't understand death. And if you don't understand death, you don't understand life. When we understand that the wages of sin of death, then we see that the free gift of God, the free gift, not something we earn or deserve, is eternal life in Christ our Lord. Now, we, we turn to the second half of John 20, 31, that the Bible was written so that by believing you may have life in his name. Life is a key theme in the Bible, and it is a key theme in the Gospel of John. It's a worthy study. If you have a, a concordance or a computer program where you can do it, just study the occurrences of the word life in John. 
It's overwhelming. I'm just going to hit some highlights. John 5, 39. I'm going to pause let you turn. We're just in one book, so it ought to be easy. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they, that is the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, this this astounds me. This, This scares me. It is possible to read and know the Bible and miss it. These Pharisees, these men who dedicated their life to the scripture, were missing it. Because they came with a preconceived notion. This thing is going to tell me what I need to do to inherit eternal life. Remember, the young lawyer, Jesus, what do I need to do? You serve the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But here's what the scriptures do. The scriptures bear witness to me. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. All of the Bible is pointing us to Christ. Now, you may come to see that. You may come to see that today. And, and, and some of them were coming to see it because Jesus was proclaiming it. But he says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You don't want it. You'd rather have your death religion than have life. I have a dilemma that I want to talk about for a few moments. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. That the newest research, we're a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. I was just there for our gathering this past week. New, new research from LifeWay uh, has come to find out that, that 50% of our young people, once they hit college age, are leaving the church and they're not returning. 50%. So you're, you're, we're talking about the largest Bible-believing denomination in the world. 50% of our children are leaving. Why? Now, I've been noticing this for a long time because my, my, my early ministry, and I would still say even as lead pastor here, I have an incredible focus on young people. And as I've interacted and watched, and I've watched young people leave, why is that happening? I'm going to give you two reasons. Now listen very carefully to them. The first reason I believe is because the life that is offered within the church is not compelling. Young people are not interested in rules and morality. They live in a post-Christian culture that is telling them that they need to experience all that they can and they see the rules of Christianity as a hindrance to real life. Underneath that problem, and most seriously is, is all we have presented, and I'm not talking about Parkwood necessarily, all we have presented in many churches is rules. When I was on sabbatical, I visited multiple churches. In the majority, I did not hear the gospel one time. I left disturbed Sunday after Sunday. The gospel was not sung It was not clearly proclaimed. The Bible was talked about. Worship was offered. Prayers were offered. But no gospel clarity. Somehow we've lulled ourselves into thinking that somehow they're going to grab it somewhere. 
We must be crystal clear. I make no apology that every Sunday we are crystal clear with the gospel. I'm about to press hard. It's not so much the church, though, always. It's what these children go home and witness. They hear you loud and clear, Mom and Dad. I'm an English major. I spend a lot of time studying Southern literature. In most every piece of Southern literature, there's this grotesque character. They're extremely religious. And some people read Southern literature and say they're making fun of Christians. That's not what they're doing. You don't understand what they're doing. Tennessee Williams made it the most clear on a cat on a hot tin roof. He used the word mendacity. It's not a word you use very often, but mendacity means hypocrisy or fraud. There's an interchange between Brick and his father, and Brick says this. Listen carefully. Mendacity is a system that we live in. So he's saying this is the South. Mendacity is a system we live in. Liquor is the only way out. Death is the other. So what's Brick saying? There's no salvation. There's no way out. And all this stuff is, is mendacity. And I'm going to tell you something pretty strong. I hadn't said it this clear until this point in the day, but I'm going to say it. If you're mendacity, you're better off not to bring your kids to church because you are confusing them. And what they're going to do is they're going to draw a conclusion, this is fake and I'm walking. You better search your own heart. The second reason I believe young people are leaving the church, now listen carefully to what I'm going to say, that life offered outside the church appears more compelling. Looks better. I've had young people say this to me. At least they're honest. At least they're telling the truth. If that's you, if you're home for Father's Day and out of respect you came to church with your parent or maybe you're 17, 18 years old and you're just waiting to get out and get out from underneath this, I just want to encourage you one more time. Will you consider the claims of Jesus? Will you hear what he's offering? Jesus is offering life. Life. Eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have eternal life. We don't understand that. See, we've narrowed Christianity down to this, this represents a moment in my life. A moment in life when I was 13 years old when I, when I prayed to receive Christ. That's what believing means. That is not what he means in the text. It includes that, but that is not what he means. When he says you have eternal life means present active. 
that you are forever, now and forever, in a state of being alive. That you have vitality. So what's the opposite of eternal life? John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Why? But the wrath of God remains on him. We live under death. So what is eternal life then? John 17, 3, this is eternal life that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. No, present, active that you know, that you are comprehending, that you are understanding a personal knowing of the supernatural work of God in Christ. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is a change from one state to another. Death to life. John 3 talks about being born again. This is a radical, and listen, lasting transformation. Every true believer has been brought from death to life. There are those people in this room who because of their lifestyle and their choices were close to physical death. Some of you have stared it in the face. And thanks be unto God, he saved you and you have a radical change of lifestyle. But this radical change is not just for those of you who lived like the devil. There are people who grew up in the church who've never really done anything bad. You've sinned. And until you come to grasp that, that you've sinned, you're never gonna be saved. Here's a wrong statement. People will say, I've been a Christian my whole life. And error. You've been a Christian since you came to understand that you were lost and separated from God by your sin and under judgment and that you needed a savior and you repented of that sin and trusted in Christ alone to save you. At that moment when you did that, you passed from death to life. You live on the other side of death. A radical change happens. It's a, it's a lifestyle change. Why? John 8, 12. Jesus is the light of life. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So the contrast is a person who walks in darkness and the person who has the light of life or the person who walks in the life, light. There's a difference in here between, in the room between people who are associated with Jesus and people who know Jesus. People who have been brought from darkness to light. They follow Christ. They walk in the light. They experience abundant life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want everybody to listen to me carefully. The last three to four months of pastoring in this local church has been joyful, but it has been some of the most difficult days that I have ever experienced in my life. As I'm watching some of you believe the lie of the devil who is stealing from you and killing you and destroying you. That is his mission. He wants your marriage destroyed. He wants the testimony of this church destroyed. He wants the testimony of your life destroyed. And he will steal and kill and destroy. But Christ has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. It's an abundant state of being alive. It's abundant vitality to our life. 
Last Sunday night, we're at the pastor's conference of the Southern Baptist Convention, and this young man in his 30s wheels out his wife in a wheelchair. He parks it, he sits down with her, and they sat down and told her story. If the camera hit her on one side, she's this beautiful, attractive young woman, and hits her on the other side, her face is drawn, her arm is hanging to the side. They proceed to tell us that she suffered a massive brainstem stroke. She shouldn't be alive. It forever changed everything about her. There's two things. She smiled, except when she wept, she smiled through the whole, the whole sharing. And this husband, who, by the way, she was doing modeling work in L.A. before this happened, sat and gazed at this woman like she was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen in his life. You can't fake that. What was welling up in these two people? A good life? The best life now? What was welling up in these people? Abundant life. Circumstances do not dictate for the follower of Jesus whether or not we experience abundant life. Abundant life is from Christ and that is why he came. So here's my question to you. Am I living the fruit of believing? John 6, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So let me just acknowledge here my second point. The reason some of our young people are walking away is because they've heard it and they're not interested. People actually heard Jesus and walked away. This astounds me, but it happened. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? In other words, do you see a better gospel out there? Is there something more compelling to you? Simon answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So really my question is, are you looking somewhere else for life? Are you teaching your children to look somewhere else for life? I'm going to tell you another narrative is not going to work. Bring your kids to church occasionally because you want them to have some religious experience while you pursue the things of this world and stuff and career and sports and you consume all these things and bring your kids to church every once in a while. If you think that's going to stick in this culture, forget it. Now, did I just say don't get your kids educated and don't let your kids play sports? Did I say that? What I said is, if that is the compelling narrative, if that's the gospel for you and you think your kid's going to embrace Jesus, forget it. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, Sisters in Christ, aren't you encouraged when you read the Bible that Jesus interacted with women? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Living and believing in Jesus is now. 
Those who are in Christ are alive in Christ now. They, they are walking in the light of life, eternal life, abundant life is welling up in them. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This week, Vacation Bible School, we're going to zoom in and focus on Jesus. We're going to remind our children over and over again that the Bible was written so that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and we're going to call them to believing and have life in his name. So if you're going to ask me the question, what is the Bible? God's words are right answer, but here's my answer. The Bible is a living book. It's alive. It reveals that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Because of the way you support me, I get to give myself every week to hours and hours in the Word. It is not boring. It is not dry. It is not painful. It is the greatest joy of my life. It's alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And when I wield it on my life, it affects my life. And here's what I ha happens when I preach it and I teach it. It's alive. I had a different illustration in the first two services. One of my close friends, I didn't even know this part. I knew he saved. We've talked about, but he never told me the core of his testimony. He grew up in the Methodist church. That's not a slam. He grew up in the Methodist church, and actually, it's, that's a positive statement. The thief stole, killed, and destroyed. He lost his family, lost everything that he had. He said, I was sitting in my living room. I popped a can of Budweiser. I took a drink and had this thought. I need to read the Gospel of John. He said, Jeff, I don't know where that came from. So I got my Bible out and I read the Gospel of John and I came to the end. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and believe him, you may have life in his name. And he said, without any preacher, anybody, I got down on my face and I wept in a pool of tears and said, Jesus, I believe. I believe. The Word of God is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And you hear me, brothers and sisters. We've got to clean up our language. Some people are going to take offense at what I'm about to say. We've got to stop saying, you need to ask Jesus in your heart. Where's that in the Bible? Find it. Here's what we need to start saying. You need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. We need to use Bible language, not Southern language. Because God blesses Bible language. It is the power of God into salvation. That's what the gospel is to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Lord, I've staked my life on this gospel. There are men and women in this room who've staked their life in eternity on this gospel. And I pray, Holy Spirit, now that you're opening blind eyes to see the hope of this gospel. That right now people are repenting of their sin confessing their need for Christ and crying out to you if they have not already, Lord Jesus, save me. I believe. I believe that you are the Savior. I believe you're the Son of God. And I believe that only you can impart life to my dead soul. And Lord, for those who believe and are believing, I pray that that be the testimony of their life now and when we leave this place, that we would live as a believing people, a winsome people, 
people like our Lord who, is, who are full of grace and truth. Bless, oh God, we pray. We plead in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.